Hi, this is Clarence Ling from Marketlytics, Law for Marketing Specialist. Welcome to The Legaling Show, where we talk about what lawyers care about. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hi, guys and girls. This is Clarence Ling from Marketlytics, Law for Marketing Specialist. And today we're on The Legaling Show, where we talk about law- what lawyers care about. Today on The Legaling Show, we've got Tom Monks from Tom & Co Legal. Tom, please tell the, uh, the audience a bit about yourself. My name is Tom Monks. I am the principal of Tom & Co Legal. We're actually a new firm. My background um, to law has been a bit um, long. I've, I've uh, ran a consultancy business in Southeast Asia for a number of years. And then I came back to Australia and then um, re-established myself as a lawyer. Um, I've as today's discussion is in, is in relation to NDIS, uh, my background also is that I'm a person with disability. I've been disabled since I was two years old. Uh, I've been through the Australian system since a very young age and I understand the landscape and movement of the landscape. Uh, the way I structure um, Tom & Co Legal is to, as a social enterprise um, business, more um, that we will, um, it's a purpose with a profit type of um, practice that we aim to help people um, while also providing um, full fee paying clients with our legal um, business um, um, options and services. So that's why Tom and Kai Legal established is because I want to be able to contribute people, but I also want to be able to provide for um, a, a dynamic um, services um, to the community um, to access uh, an affordable justice system. Yeah, that's a little bit about yeah. And you're in Perth, right? We're both in Perth, actually. Yes, yes. You know, this is my hometown. I grew up in Albany, actually, down, a town down south. Um, great little town. And then um, as you progress through life, I um, came studying Perth um, and um, worked overseas in throughout Southeast Asia for nine years and came back again to Perth. And this is where I chose to um, bring my family up. I've got the three young boys and wife. We... Love this city, love the people, love them, um, you know, West Australia is such a great, and Australia in general, such a great place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's get into it. Do you actually think the NDIS is effective? Look, let me start by saying that NDIS is such a great um, concept and model. It is something that we needed um, in the disability sector. It's, it provides access to... Um, that weren't available before for a lot of people, uh, you know, and it's driven, originally was set up to, for choice and control participant, for people to be able to uh, make decisions, being self-determined to um, for whatever goals and aspiration they achieve to be, whether it is just, you know, um, to interact socially with people on a daily basis or work towards a goal um, as a professional, these are the things that need support for people with disability, and um, that's what the NDIS was built for. It was built to assist people to achieve those goals when, you know, the mainstream system um, does not support um, the, um, individuals with disability to do that. So it is effective to a point. Now, as the years progress, um, it is still effective, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful um, that we have an NDI system. I'm very grateful that 
I'm able to, um, as a participant, to access some of the fundings, but does it do enough? Does it achieve what its sole purpose is? Maybe it's not. Um, um, the effectiveness is really determined on a case-by-case -case basis, um, from my view anyway, that it doesn't meet the individual needs and control and their progression to achieve those goals in their life or aspiration. Um, some people, it falls way short. Some people, yes, it, it sustained them. So um, it's very hard to say on a, as a broad bus, very effective, but it, but it, it is subject to individual needs. And my effectiveness is that if you're given a plan or the system, the effectiveness of NDIS is great. But when you take what existing support away already, then that, that effectiveness um, be, uh, doesn't work. Um, if, if NDIS doesn't meet the goals and aspiration of individual, if once you give something to them, you, they built the foundation on that to achieve their goals and aspiration, and then it's taken away. And this is what's happening in the system at the moment. People on a rotational basis of every of the one year or two year plan reviews are given funding for specific needs, and then the following year take away, and then no rhyme or reason. The year after, it's given back again. So there's no consistency. And without consistency, the effectiveness to assist people on an individual basis are bored. Mm. When it's ineffective, why do you think it remains ineffective? Like what, what's the causes of these ineffectiveness? I think there's too many layers of uh, within the NDIS. Um, and within those layers are people that are not trained in the specific disability needs. Um, you have people who are planners, um, are basically insurers, actuaries, who look at it as, as, as a number system and what, what, what are they allowed to allocate, what is their directive from above, and what can they do. Now, I'll give you an example of, because I do a lot of pro bono work with, with um, people going through NDIS, um, especially to the administrative appeals tribunal stage, and a lot of the issue that came back um, in section 34 in the eyes is uh, um, that they say have not meet the necessary reasonable component is are based on value for money or you know whether it's um, beneficial and good practice. Now that's the cop-out clause of um, what is reasonable and necessary for a lot of people being denied that value for money, um, you know, how can you it's not like buying one, um, one car and another car, you know, and then you just say, well, that's, that's different. It's, it's about supporting an individual, about the needs, especially in the complex matter, um, com um, um, cases where a person um, have a high um, level disability, cognitive issues, um, uh, even in, um, on a guardian or administrative basis, you know, where another person is taking care of them and they can't advocate for themselves. And yet, how do they communicate their disability, their needs and choices? And when they do, it comes down to value for money issue of, well, you know, you have someone already taking care of you. We don't need to provide you any more support workers or we don't need to provide you any, any more funding to, for you to access. So there's an over-reliance on informal network um, as well, that, 
and also an over-reliance on simplistic um, uh, comprehension of medical and allied reports by the planner themselves. Um, you know, when we resubmit um, uh, new reports, occupational therapist report or things like that, in support of, uh, um, of the original reports, they dismissed it because they said, well, you know, you're just adding this to create more value. Well, it is not that way because you ask for more assessment. We need to provide more assessment. We need to create this system that by providing these extra, extra money, you, you are actually providing um, the individual, the participant, with a greater opportunity and choice to participate in their society, in our society. Yeah. So, why, come back to your question, what area of ineffectiveness? I think the decision makers, um, there's a lack of understanding, it is policy driven, and especially now the directives is to, uh, is to um, minimize further increase in funding. Um, we're on sort of like a holding pattern because of the new independent assessments going to come into place. Um, in what form, we don't know. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of fear, anxiety within the community, disability um, community. And it is impacting a lot of people's um, uh, ability to create their own personal choice and the self-determination because this fear of, this fear of being excluded or of not being heard, it's, it's real amongst people with disability. We already are a group of disempowered individuals um, that rely on others um, in, in some form or some way to assist us. As much as I hate it, I do rely on other people in certain aspects of my life as well. Mm. But that doesn't mean that I um, am a lesser person or a lesser value, and that's what's happening with people. So when they come to assessing uh, the Section 34 of the NEISA, um, you know, we need to look at not only um, the dollars and cents of value for money, but also the, the sense that is it value for money when a participant becomes self-determined, when the participant, participant can be self-empowered and be able to live a, a, a proactive life in the society. So that's where the infectiveness comes into place, that it is a mechanical structure rather than an empathetic structure that the system was supposed to be built on. I see. I see. Yeah, an empathetic structure is not, definitely not mechanical structure. Mechanical structure is not flexible, is it? No, you, you, you already defined, and I understand that um, yeah, we need a good process and procedure for check and balances and transparency. Now, it seems the conversation has been always been focusing on saving money from the participants. Let's turn that around. Let's turn it around to um, support providers, you know, and the, and, the, and, and the exorbitant amount of money being paid um, to these providers and the inflated costs um, of, that we have to pay just for reports, just to justify our disability and functional tests. Um, you know, I have reports, I have reports to determine, A, yes, my leg hasn't grown back, B, um, that I'm, I, I still require and my conditions over years, um, you know, will 
deteriorate in certain areas as I'm aging or there's a, a variety of, of complication over the years. Um, so there's a, there's a variety of things that you still need ongoing reports for, which is on a common sense level, you know, you, sh you shouldn't be hands, you shouldn't be able to do that. Because to be defined as dis um, disabled, you need to be, your disability have to be stable. It's not a medical condition. Mm. That's, one of the condi uh, that's one of the criteria of mm. uh, disability. So, you know, I, I find it very um, disingenuous when they put um, uh, this empathy and fluff around a procedure that is rigid. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it can't be rigid in the, it, because it's each person's circumstances are so unique, isn't it? Oh, definitely. You know, there's a plethora of people um, of, of type disabilities, people that have visible disability and those with invisible disabilities and those, you know, um, and people um, are quick to make judgments as well on what levels and what what is um, what um, of, the, of the person's disability. But at the end of the day, this NDIS is an insurance scheme. It means that all Australians are able to access it if they become disabled in their lifetime for support. It's not just a scheme that's, um, that is segregated and it's for a special um, a group of people. It is for all Australians. And that's why it was established. It's, and it's not mean tested. It's not um, a, a system that, you know, before any of we had to look at them, um, people, um, you know, being funded by the states and very variety. I think we'll talk about that later on uh, of the old system. But the NDIS is a system where now there's a no fault system where people can access it. And that is the that's the, um, brilliant of it all. You know, once you become, um, uh, um, become a participant you should be able to set your goals and match and have um, the support built around that to um, assist you in to achieve those goals okay that's good uh do potential NDIS participants need legal representation and when do they need legal representation there's a lot of advocacy being funded on a, on a on a, on a local level from at the moment from the local community um um, legal centres, um, um, a lot of them are for internal reviews to the, and the process for um, reviews is you have to go through an internal review first, and then if um, the reviewer, um, you know, uh, did not um, uh, give you extra fundings or the you disagree with the review, you have to go through the, uh, um, administrative appeals tribunal process. And that, that is when a lot of people um, become stressed out. Because internal review, you just call up the NDIA, say you want an S100 number review um, based on these, um, you provide whatever existing uh, new re um, reports and it goes to NDIA for, um, to a separate um, assessor. If you don't agree with the assessment after that, you have to um, put an application into the AAT. Now, a lot of people aren't equipped to do that. A lot of um, people with disabilities find it already stressful going through the initial stage of review and then have to, once again, 
go to the tribunal. <coughs> there is, um, and there's not enough money in this in the pot to um, win the um, community legal centers to assist them all the way through. Legal aids can only assist a small or marginal amount of people that go to AAT, uh, as long as they believe it's a public interest um, system um, view. Um, and also, you know, a, a lot of people who come across as very um, uh, empowered or strong, they usually are told that you, you, you're, you're capable of doing it enough. Now, the issue here is that once you reach the AAT, NDIA tends to send their own um, solicitors into this. It's not another advocate, not an internal reviewer, not a delegate, but they either send their own um, solicitors or contract out to one of the bigger firms mm. to come in. You have a, a family with um, or a person with disability who may not know the process, who just want to live with their life, and yet they now have to fight um, and go through a system that 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 is um, uh, you know out, um, weighing towards um, outweighing um, their ability to have self advocate. You have a system where um, it, it's just not fair or equitable for an individual to submit their cases, and it is a drawn out process. I had um, another matter I worked on um, and not advised on. We went to the tribunal, and she engaged me at a later stage. He said after four or so hearing, um, you know, um, and being pounded and being um, basically ignored by uh, uh, one of the big end law firm who was um, was helping NDIA, um, we uh, he just broke out and uh, broke down, um, you know, said you know I, I can't do this anymore. Um, she was pushed to the edge because of the system created that. Uh, how mm. can you? Try to tell someone to be um, your uh, part of our society, part of a valued member of our society, when you're pushing them to the edge, when you just say, when they they just say that this person just want an increase in funding for um, for incontinence um, um, money, you know, <laughs> there's a change in her circumstance, and yet. It was just a marginal amount, and they took her all the way and refused. Yeah. All the name of value for money and saving money. Exactly. So um, when I hear like that, and I feel, um, you know, and, um, and I hear people, and I get people call me up, um, and we try to do a lot of pro bono work um, as much as we can um, here. It, it's just that it breaks my heart because at least... I'm able to um, say, hang on a sec, you know, that's that's wrong, or I know the, how the mechanics of the system work or in the AAT. People don't understand it. They feel um, personally attacked. They feel they, they're being judged. And, and it leaves them, um, you know, um, wanting to leave a system because they can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were there problems with previous systems and is there hope for disabled people to get the help they need? Look, we, we in Australia, we had a great progress, um, you know, um, being, being uh, recognised, people being recognised as people with disability and the progress in the 90s. 
um, you know, with the Commonwealth State Disability Funding Model, uh, there was an agreement, but there it was lacking. There was a um, the, the the model didn't really assist people to achieve their goals, their aspiration, and to be able to have a choice and control. They it's a, it's it's pretty much based on a medical model um, of funding. You know, where before NDIS um, was available for like um, assistive technologies for wheelchairs or things like that, those who can't afford it, those are not who don't um, are part of uh, like a compensation claims and um, um, didn't get a payout, have to go through the medical system um, and they use what they call CAPE, you know, um, model where they can access some um, equipment. Now that's capped, there's a long wait list. Yeah. And people don't usually get um, the, uh, the, the equipment they need. They just um, uh, just get enough to get by. So that's the old model. Um, I can't really talk about um, the much more complex needs um, in that area, like um, because I wasn't involved in that as much. But overall, the old model was really much uh, based on referral by the doctors and the GPs, you were given a um, 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 certain choice, um, weren't given choices at all, actually, you would just say, this is it, this is what you get, and that's it, or you come up with your own money. I funded myself for majority of my life, uh, you know, to get my equipment, to get things I need, um, car modification, things like that. Um, I worked hard, I've um, managed to be able to um, negotiate with my previous employers before to partially fund a wheelchair or things like that um, with me or, or whatever. So I got really good stuff because I was able to negotiate. A lot of people weren't able to do that. A lot of people who was, were paid um, compensation uh, money from through their accidents or, uh, or personal injuries were able to access good equipment to a certain stage. But those people where they didn't receive or they were born with disability or, you know, it was, a, it was an accident that um, they were at fault, they, they were only provided with um, limited um, access to equipments. They just were made do. Now, NDIS came along and they said, well, you know, apart from if you've already been compensated, we'll put that in another category, those people, you know, what, what do you need to achieve in your life? Do you want to be able to participate socially? You want to exercise? These are the goals and aspirations. You'll see more people now along the foreshore riding really nice hand cycles um, and um, bikes and equipment uh, with disability. Those are usually now funded by NDIS before people weren't able to access that. Oh. You know, and, and that's and it is great because you're seeing people now getting out involved in community in society. You see that some people with wheelchairs got the like little handlebars and motorized things. Those are funded by NDIS. Those are like twelve, fifteen thousand dollar equipment that wow. no, normally you can't um, access it. You know, I think I did a video once um, a few months ago where I tried a new type of um, wheelchair or the Omeo, and that itself cost $30,000. Yeah. Wow. More than this my car. <laughs> it is, you know, and and I go, well, let's let's try that out, see whether it's suitable for me or not, and whether it's good or not. But 
people been funded with those things where in the past they weren't able to um, access those types of equipment. And there's also not only um, people um, that use assistive technology, it's like being able to live independently. People with complex needs can actually have support workers to live in, um, in, a, in a home by themselves rather than being um, um, in a shared home. It's all these things that, um, you know, that has changed the landscape of disability for the better. But when I say for the better, it doesn't mean that we can stop there. It means that it is a leapfrog to be able to improve ourselves and make a system much more fairer. Now, the whole issue of funding of NDIS and this, if this explosion of, um, of costs, uh, you know, we've got to realise that it is a um, co-funded uh, co, uh, model. The state is actually contributing to the, uh, the Commonwealth um, pot as well. And not only that, you're looking at, you know, a lot of people have shifted from Medicare um, what, or the medical model across to NDIS model. So there's, there's a bit of fudging around of um, the cost to NDIS where people are shifting. Um, another issue of shifting costs is um, what used to be funded under the Centrelink or Social Security um, for um, mobility allowance. That's now shifted and that was given to people with disabilities, whether we're physical or whatever, who participate um, or work or participate volunteer um, more than 15 hours a week. It's a standard cost that people help to, you know, just assist in their, uh, their um, weekly expenditures. Um, and it's not for petrol, it's like extra costs for um, wear and tear of your vehicles or, or taxis or supported um, um, uh, But now, once it's given to NDIS, the same amount of, it's actually less than what used to be paid under the social security system, the, the Centrelink system. They've now um, systematically taking away that um, transport allowance from everyone. You know, what was given um, as um, um, uh, now was given to NDIS to um, be responsible for payment, now it's been taken away. There's a lot of people who used to have um, a mobility allowance. Now it's being taken away. So there was a shift in cost from um, um, Centrelink to NDIS for that. And now mm -hmm. it's gradually being taken away. What else is going to be taken away? So it's one hand give, one hand take. And and then that's the the you know the the issue is that we can go say um, the Medicare or any eyes to blow out over the years to come is but what what how did they come up with those data? They haven't released the actual working out yet. Um, so that's my issue. Now I want to get onto um, um, the, the the issue of. Um, um, independent assessments as well, because in the previous older model, you know, you have, at least you have your medical uh, doctors, your allied health professionals, your OT, your physio, they can come together and formulate a plan. That's the system that we're supposed to have. Unfortunately, unfortunately it's being triaged by the local area coordinators who cut and 
um, and discard some of the stuff and don't listen. Um, and, and then it goes to the planet to be funded and then there's be further cut. That's the unfortunate thing. Now with the independent assessment, you're gonna have another um, layer of person who don't know you, who may not take into consideration of anything apart from assessment of, our, um, of an interview and a tick box and uh, whether you fit in those um, persona or not. The issue there is that for a person like myself, I know how to talk, but a person who can advocate for themselves, no problems at all. But when the, you have, you know, a person who in high support need, um, can, uh, uh, high anxiety or depression and cannot communicate, you know, or are, is re are reluctant to communicate to strangers with an iPad in front of them who's not um, engaging in any uh, meaningful way, how can they provide that assessment of what money to provide that person, what funding to provide that person. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah, and, and a weight of um, the carers, um, you know, um, especially in the older uh, adults, um, people with disability with, um, high, with com high, high complex needs, how the weight of the guardians or carers, you know, um, it's different because usually what happened, and I've, this has been done, um, I'm, 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 I'm informed to me by participants who um, undertaken the trial independent assessment is that their daughter would take it away or their guardian, um, their, um, you know, their daughters or their sons or the, um, their partner was taken away to have a private conversation or things like that. And then when they came back, it was, yeah, you know, whatever was said was recorded without being um, going through the person. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, it's a system that requires further refining and much more consultative uh, consultation. Um, I think it is a great system, but it is a system, um, it is a scheme that requires a much more um, uh, less actuarial um, modelling uh, or put more empathy in the actual modeling and have better people that are trained to do that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the people are very important down there because if the people are not doing it right, it doesn't matter what system we have in place, it won't do it right. Exactly. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about the people. NDIS was not structured as a, as a, you know, you know as a, um, as a company, as a scheme, that look at insuring a, a car or or uh, 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 items of, uh, but it's about uh, people. It's about you, me, and everyone else out there um, that or and future participants, mm -hmm. um, and how we're going to work towards it as a as a as a society to be. Um, I, I guess it's more. That's why the whole emphasis of co-planning was part of the NDIS, that it is in, it's in partnership with NDIS. Yeah. And if, if they've taken the co out of the word co-planning, that's the biggest problem. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom. It's been really enlightening to talk about the NDIS and how some of the legal issues that come up as a result of it. Uh, very glad to have you on the show and hope to see you soon. Guys and girls, we're signing off and uh, hope that you're all well in Australia all around the world and keep safe. Thank you very much. Thanks, Clarence. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to The Legaling Show. This episode was brought to you by Markalytics Marketing Agency, Law Firm Marketing Specialists. For ads on all major online channels and SEO run by a lawyer, marketer, and legal consumer, experience the Markalytics difference at markalytics.com.au. If you have any suggestions for the show or would like to become a guest, please email info at markalytics.com.au. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Legaling Show where we talk about what lawyers care about.